Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. And today we have another edition of Market Pulse with eGirl Capital. Joining us on the other side of the mics are my guests, Hedgehog of eGirl Capital, as well as Larry Cermak, VP of Research at The Block. Before we turn on the mics, we were talking about the recent price action. I feel like the last time I had the two of you on, we were a bit more gloomy in the wake of the meltdown of FTX and everyone losing no. all of them. That was, was pre-FTX. We were not, that was pre-FTX. It was, it was that long ago? Yeah. Yeah, it was that long ago. <laughs> we were still, I still feel like we were gloomy. We were gloomy. In the episode. No, we were actually we were gloomy. gloomy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't um, think I was, and that, I don't think I was that gloomy. I don't think I was, uh, you know, expecting anything like what happened to happen. <laughs> I don't think Hawk was either. Yeah. Yeah, no nobody, way. nobody was. Before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. What's next for digital currency after a brutal 2022? While the core promise of crypto hasn't changed, digital currency is still forming the base layer for a new global commerce infrastructure. From merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers and even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. It's like building houses. What's the foundation and can you get the foundation right? Throughout Q1, I'm happy to host leaders from Circle here on The Scoop to give listeners the chance to hear how one of crypto's most prominent builders is paving the way for digital currency utility. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. It's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon 2. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based Layer 1 blockchain with secure, decentralized access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's native interoperability protocols provide developers with a variety of high-integrity price and event data, including detailed transaction proofs from other chains and information from Web2 APIs. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblock.co slash terms dash service. So now we have, um, you know, pretty good price action. I was looking at the year-to-date chart, which is really just a monthly chart, and... <laughs> Coinbase is up 98%. Bitcoin's up something like 44%. And so obviously it's kind of like the meme where it's the big red drawdown and then the little tiny green inch up. But are you surprised by the price action? And I think both of you are of the opinion that this rally doesn't have legs. Yeah, um, no, I don't think we're really surprised. Um I think the last time we chatted, we, you know, we were pretty gloomy, but it was like a kind of, you know, this is where you can kind of buy spot and, you know, start DCAing spot. I think some stuff obviously has caught us off guard, stuff like Aptos, which is up like multiples. That is kind of, 
crazy in my opinion. But you know, in general, like BTC and ETH, like being up this much isn't really a surprise at all. Is this rally driven by retail or institutions? Do you have a sense of that? My sense is retail. And that's why I don't really think this is going to last. You know, we're, we're seeing like a lot of degenerate behavior coming back really quickly, I think. You know, Cantos and all these like new NFTs and there are new own forks and stuff. Like all this kind of behavior is like, you know, people haven't really learned anything, right? Um, and they're really risk on already. So yeah, I feel like re- retail is a, is a big factor of, of this recent activity. What's different about this time relative to previous cycles? Is it is it the lack of institutions that's not going to give it footing? What's your impression, Larry? And is there any data that indicates that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think kind of like Hoxha, I think there is definitely retail buying some of the speculatory assets on these smaller assets. I think on the on the Bitcoin East side, you know, it, it's probably a few large traders that just decided that the bottom the bottom could be in, right? And and they're just kind of bidding on it and we see a lot of bidding activity in the order books especially when there's relatively thin liquidity so i think that that's like one of the reasons i'm again i'm like hog i'm not sure if this is going to be sustained because it's kind of unclear to me but to answer your question i think the biggest difference is that right now we don't really have anything to kind of drive the rally to to have legs under it and i think there's still a lot of uncertainty in the macro markets and you know you're talking about uh bitcoin being up 40 percent some of these assets being up multiples, ETH is up uh, a lot as well. A lot of some of the riskier stocks or some of the tech stocks as well are up 80%. I think Tesla is up from somewhere like 100 to 180 or something, right? Yeah. We've just seen really large increases across the board in just risk assets overall. I still am convinced, just like I was on, on the last two recordings we did with eGirl, that we are still waiting for more certainty from the macro markets. And you know the asset prices are still moving in high correlation. And the correlation right now is like 95% or something to NASDAQ. It's insanely high still. Uh, but we are seeing some massive outperformers, like Hawk mentioned, Canto, Aptos, a few of these. And I, I do think that that's coming from retail money and you know smaller traders are kind of gambling on some increased enthusiasm in the markets. Yeah, a big difference between this and like 2019, I feel 2019 was definitely more short liquidation field. Like we definitely saw like a lot of liquidations on BTC, you know, maybe two or three weeks ago. But now we're not really seeing that. I think a good sign for that uh, for me was like last night, you know, BTC kind of went past 24K, right? And we really saw like nothing. So I don't think there's like any shorts really trapped on these majors anymore. And if we were to go up, it really just has to be like pure spot buying. Or, you know, BTC has to kind of chill here and wait for the the shorts to kind of um, accumulate again. But, you know, right now in the market, I don't think there's many left on those majors. How much capital is sitting on the sidelines to save our listeners' bags? A lot. <laughs> a lot. Um, that's, I think there's no question. There is a lot. So that's always reassuring. I think there's a mix of elements here in addition just the macro environments playing one piece of what's maybe keeping the institutional part of the market from entering. But there's also this lack of infrastructure that exists now where they don't have anywhere to trade, right? All of the counterparties that they were used to dealing with a year ago are gone, whether it's Alameda, Genesis, BlockFi Prime, 
the list goes on. So many people got wiped out. So even if they wanted to put on a position, they're probably afraid to, especially in OTC land. Yeah. Yeah, um, I agree. I think even for us, like we were mostly trading on FTX. And for us to make that change to Binance uh, also took like a period of adjustment. Like we're still adjusting basically. Oh, really? Yeah, people underestimate how hard it is to just like pivot from one exchange to another. Uh, we lost like a lot of the tools that we had built and, you know, Binance does things slightly differently and, you know, we have to account for that as well in our infrastructure. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. So that's definitely one impediment that's keeping, adding a level of friction to the market. Maybe yeah, that's keeping definitely. folks from yeah. shorting as well, right? Because where are they going to do that? It's probably would have been on an FTX <laughs> or or would have been FTX themselves. <laughs> would have been Alameda on FTX. <laughs> so what about NFTs? That's another, I mean, it's almost like it's its own separate market right now. A lot of development. Their infrastructure seems to be growing at a much more steady clip than the trading side or especially the DeFi side. DeFi seems just cooked. Yeah, I think NFTs are definitely, like you said, unconnected to the rest of the market in a lot of ways. But there is also, you know, shared capital, shared enthusiasm overall. We've seen a bunch of volume come in for NFTs overall over the last, you know, January and, and December, really, there was already some sort of an uptick. I think there's a few reasons. One is that just in general, market is a little bit more keen to risk assets overall. But but secondly, also, there's a bunch of kind of interesting product releases as well. Like Blur is launching, which is kind of grabbing a lot of market share overall uh, from OpenSea. I think they're currently about 30 or 40%. They're launching February 14, the token. And there's incentives for creating some of that volume as well. Pseudoswap also just uh, released a token, even though it's not transferable. So there's just a bunch of things happening in NFTs that I think are, again, sparking some interest overall in the market. Uh, there's, like you said, Frank, continuous development. And it's because there's like so little fundamental analysis you can do. Some of these rallies can be started kind of almost out of nothing, just a, a trend mm -hmm. reversal. But I've definitely noticed that as well. Yeah, I think like different to the trading market, the NFT infrastructure has just really gotten better, you know, day by day. So, you know, there's like no institutional side to NFTs. Everything is DeFi, you know, on-chain related. Like Coinbase, I think they like recently just shut down their NFT project thing that they were working on. So, yeah, on-chain capabilities for NFTs have just been getting better. So uh, there's nothing to adjust to. And going back to the different tokens that have had rallies, it doesn't seem like it's underpinned, you know, going back to the point Larry made by anything fundamental, or maybe Hogg, you made this point that it seems a bit more just, you know, degenerates punting. I'm like looking at the number of new addresses on Aptos and it's like very steady. I mean, relative to last month, it's yeah. lower. These new charts that we just added to the dashboard transactions on Aptos, the seven day moving average, it's like, way down from like 1.5 million to 600,000. Yeah. So are there any fundamentals at play? We've done a research piece recently that people can go check out that looked at the on-chain activity on Aptos. And it's like actually very, very steady compared to the price action that you're seeing. So in terms of on-chain activities, it's not really because there's a lot of fundamental growth there. Uh, I think the reason is different. And that's because 
a lot of these coins have relatively low float and and some of these are relatively shorted and they just become interesting targets for people to you know punt on in terms of just longing them and i don't think a lot of this is spot driven and I think, you know, the same is really the case with Kanto. Maybe that, that's not really features driven, but in that one, I think it's more about, well, you don't actually have many people that can continuously dump. There's not a lot of unlocks and, and the float is still relatively low as well. And you just create a narrative and the narrative somehow sticks and then it becomes a kind of a, almost like a CT favorite uh, for punting on. Uh, I don't think there's much of a fundamental reason. And when the price of, you know, Kanto goes up, of course, there's going to be slightly more interest in like the Kanto NFTs or the Kanto projects building on top. But in general, like Hawk, I would be relatively cautious believing in these trends and for them to continue for a really long time. You know, like the Aptos price is insanely high based on everything else, any, any sort of realistic comparison you can make. But that doesn't mean that the price is not going to go higher. But like in terms of like longing that or holding that for a long time, it's very risky. And it's definitely not for me. It's cool to look at the volumes. We should actually write a piece on this. They're like surging. So like, I know you say that this market's boring, Larry, but I mean, it was so dead last month. I think it's like more boring for me because I'm not really bought into any of these narratives. But in terms of like actual, you know, there's definitely more liquidity than there was in December. And there's definitely more enthusiasm in the markets overall. And there's definitely new like narratives coming along. I do think it's interesting. But for me specifically, it's boring, but it's definitely in terms of like being as objective as possible. December was much worse. It was everyone was just like kind of like everything is going to shit. Everything is terrible. Now, there's a lot of people that believe that the bottom is already in and that, you know, it's safe to start buying spot. And the atmosphere overall of just in general has improved a lot. Hog, what say you? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible that the bottom is in. But yeah, like Larry said, you know, there are some tokens out there that you still do need to be wary of buying. We're probably ragging on Aptos a lot, but yeah, it's really crazy. Like at least for Kanto, like, you know, the price is up, but also the activity is up there, right? But with Aptos, it's like price up, but you know, how many more people are really using this? Like zero almost new people. So um, some, some things are just hype, but yeah, like in general, you know, even if macro goes, you know, really, really bad, mm. I would agree. Like for for some tokens, like you know, Bitcoin and ETH, like yeah, sure, you could buy here and then start DCA. Yeah, I don't, I don't see any issues with that. Not financial advice. Not financial advice. Davis wanted me to ask some questions about Ethereum's upcoming Shanghai upgrade and the subsequent opening of ETH withdrawals. How how do you think traders are positioning themselves on that? I personally think that that's a super kind of hyped up narrative. I think a lot of that, personally, I think a lot of that is priced in already. Like people are saying, oh, everything is going to, you know, all this is going to unlock. People are going to get spooked and a lot of them are going to sell. There's some analysis that I saw people do in Dune Analytics, uh, kind of like the entry price at which some of these Ethereum holders have staked in. And it's saying that a lot of them are losing money. You know, I think a lot of that is really kind of made up a narrative. I think it's it's overblown a lot. There are really small limits on how much is actually going to be unlocked on a daily basis from the Shanghai upgrade. And mm. I think just gradually, I would assume most of the people that staked are actually relatively long-term oriented. They're spot backs uh, that they wanted to earn some yield on. So I personally would be actually surprised if a lot of that ends up in dumping. But it is a narrative that I see on Twitter more and more that like, oh, I'm going to only enter after the Shanghai effects are a little bit clear. I personally think that makes <laughs> no sense. And I think if anything, it's 
it, the, the market is a little bit spooked and I wouldn't be surprised if the effect of the event itself is actually a fairly non-event, but still kind of obviously paying attention to the broader markets. Yeah, I think I would just agree. Overhyped and probably non-event. Post-merge, I think we reported yesterday Ethereum supply reached an all-time low. But is deflation sustainable as Layer 2s continue to gain prominence? Will ETH become inflationary again? I personally think that it could actually be deflationary. Like we're talking about, you know, Ethereum is not used as much. The gas fees have been pretty consistently around 20 over the last, you know, two months or something like that. Very low. I think if there is an increase in activity and if the bull market actually does come back, we're talking about gas fees being, you know, five to 10 times higher overall on average. Um, And a lot of that will go into Ethereum being burned itself. Uh, So I I do think that if bull market is back, I think it will become one of Mm -hmm. the most interesting assets for any investors to buy because the risk is relatively low, kind of like Hawk said, like you're not gambling on some shit coin that just went up a lot, but you're gambling on something that has been around for a long time, has a lot of these new technologies coming, even though they'll have separate tokens. And on top of that, the token economics compared to the last bull market has been insanely better, in my opinion. So I would not be surprised if Ethereum is one of the strongest performers in a, in a proper bull market when there is actual activity on chain, because I think it can lead to uh, actually you know, less supply being dumped on the market. Uh, you just don't have as much coming on. Uh, so I'm, I'm not quite excited about that myself. And I think if I were to pick one asset to hold for the next five years, it would be ETH. Okay, but what about looking at the other layer ones? There's too many. Too many. We got to cut them in half. It's like... I got to have them all on the podcast and it's like there's 10 of them. So I've got to learn about Polkadot and Salon and Avalanche. It's just <laughs> annoying. Um, Cosmos, Aptos, Avalanche, Polkadot, Cardano, Solana. Who comes second in that scenario for you, Larry? I personally think that uh, I still think that the layer two tokens are going to be something that I would focus on myself. Uh, I think like we still basically only have the OP token on the market, maybe Polygon, if you consider it kind of an up and coming layer two token. But there's going to be Arbitrum token coming on live soon, Starknet token, ZK Sync token, Scroll token. A lot of that is going to flood the market. I think that's going to be really interesting. Like, how do you decide how to price that? How does that compare to how, you know, Ethereum is trading? Like stuff like that, I think is going to be really exciting. In terms of the second L- layer one, I'm I'm not as involved as, as I once have been. I think the second one that I'm probably the most interested in is either Cosmos or Solana still in some ways. I still like their activity the most. Yeah, I still like Solana too. But, you know, in saying that, like all these L1s have really kind of gotten to a price Mm. Uh, in the past few months where you don't really need to be right on who the number two is, right? They all come off so much that, you know, everyone was talking about single-digit Solana. Like, that's a really good bet. And the same is with all the others, like Phantom, AVAX. Um, you can name all of them, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really think it's a question that you have to have an answer to, you know, make money in this market. Like, you can make money and, and be wrong. Uh, yeah, very easily. I mean, Larry's the poster child of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, on the podcast, it's mean. <laughs> can I can I shit on Doge in the podcast where he's always right but doesn't make money? <laughs> <laughs> he does seem to be right a lot. He's also wrong a lot. Let's let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> yeah, he's wrong whenever you listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> the core promise of crypto hasn't changed. Stable coins can bring faster payments at internet scale, from merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers or even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. USDC is more than just a stable coin. USDC is also an open source platform. When our transactions are actually final and you can't change them anymore, that's another great quality property of cash because when you switch his hand, it's final, right? Can you digitize all those good quality properties and bring that in a digital form. USDC by Circle is at the forefront of this innovation. And that's why The Scoop is partnering with the folks at Circle to tell you guys why and how our industry is moving. A lot of us who have built USDC, myself included and Jeremy included, we are technologists. So we approach this problem from a technology point of view. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. And it's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon too. Shield your funds and use them privately on your favorite DeFi apps. Railgun's cutting edge zero knowledge system encrypts your data from public view. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based layer one blockchain with secure access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's state connector acquires detailed transaction data from blockchains and information from Web2 APIs in a decentralized way, so it can be used securely, scalably, and trustlessly in applications running on the network. Paired with the Flare Time Series Oracle for decentralized price and time series data, Flare delivers a developer focused blockchain with secure native access to more off-chain data than ever before. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. How much of an overhang will just FTX, DCG have on the market? Have we moved completely beyond the credit crisis and now macro is back in the driver's seat? Um, yeah, I think macro is back in the driver's seat. I think we're at prices where we don't really need institutional buy-in at these prices for these prices to kind of remain. That's kind of where we're at. And that's why I don't think, you know, DCG and FTX are particularly important right now. We're at prices where if you only had retail interest, all the tokens would still probably be around here. Mm, that's a good point. So who's going to trade on Kyle and Sue's new GTX? Actually, here's a better question. Okay, would you rather trade on BitMEX, FTX relaunched by John Ray, or Sue's exchange? Huh. You know, that's a tough one because um, for me, um, BitMEX always had the best UX. I still think it has the best UX. It's a really tough one. Like, I don't know what BitMEX has to do to get its shit together, but that's still my favorite exchange of all time to trade on. But, you know, they haven't had they this. Just don't have. Yeah, they haven't had this shit together for years, right? So it'll probably be FTX, then BitMEX. Um, and then I think it's called Open Exchange now. But um, yeah. That's a tough one. <laughs> I think. 
dude. The I fact did. that everyone's taking so long to say Bitmax, like <laughs> any executive at Bitmax is listening to this. <laughs> You got to uh, open your eyes, man. I know, I know. This is really bad for you. Yeah. You know, if I were to choose from these immediately, I would say BitMEX. If FTX was being run responsibly, I think that's a decent option as well. I would never, ever pick the Three Arrows Exchange uh, or the CoinFlex reboot. Uh, I, I don't trust these guys at all. Uh, and I obviously don't trust the FTX guys as well at this point. But if it's run with, with new people, just with the same or similar mechanism and the similar UI UX. I, I quite liked it. Uh, uh, I, I do kind of miss uh, the interface, honestly. Well, I wonder how much of what made FTX great was Alameda sort of just piling in all that liquidity at a massive loss. Yeah, I think you're totally right on that. Like you said in your podcast with with Kanaf, uh, you know, I think a lot of their success uh, in retrospect was because they had so much liquidity for these new coins uh, where they just jump-started you know, a perp for whatever coin. And that was really appealing for a lot of people because they had most of the stuff they had the first. And so if you were really involved in the market, you wanted to you know, bet on the upside or downside of new listed coins, FTX was really good. But I, like in retrospect, that's probably not really easy to do or really is even possible for it to be profitable when you're listing all these perps on super liquid coins and, you know, you want to bet that they're going to drop in price. Uh, who's on the other side? And I think in a lot of ways, it was Alameda. Yeah. Another element. Yeah, go ahead, Hog. Um, for us, yeah, it was um, a combo of the liquidity and the UI UX, I think. Um, you know, the user experience was really unmatched except for uh, BitMEX. And BitMEX just didn't have the pairs for us to trade on. Um, and we probably pivoted when a lot of the market pivoted, like uh, after March 2020, you know, April, May, that's when I started being more and more on FTX versus BitMEX. And so what surprised me while FTX was around was people would always complain about the predatory market makers and we didn't really see that because i'm not sure if people realized but they would always quote like best bid and best offer and all you would do is you would just market sell into that best bid or best offer and they would just refresh it and then you just market sell again so actually the liquidity that they provided was a lot higher than what they actually showed on the order books and they would just take like so much liquidity on these like random shit coins so that's why we really love them um, so yeah, it, it's probably a combo. Um, and I'm not going to lie, like trading on Binance, the, the user experience is just not the same. Like all these sub accounts and stuff, it's just overly complicated. And yeah, we're having like a lot of troubles adjusting actually. There's also a trade-off, I think, between, at least with, with BitMEX, I was speaking with someone who used to work there and he said when FTX was coming on, the big benefit they brought to the market was the speed and efficacy of the liquidation engine. Whereas, you know, obviously BitMEX had all those issues with the... Um, ADL? Yeah, exactly. And so while their liquidation engine wasn't super responsive, it was more accurate in terms of the data. And also FTX apparently kept asking them for all these features, BitMEX, or Alameda rather, before FTX launched. And ultimately that's why... FTX launch was because BitMEX wasn't responding to all these feature requests that Alameda had. And so it's funny, um, which is a little bit different from how they would talk about 
We wanted to provide traders with a better exchange. They really wanted to provide Alameda themselves yeah. <laughs> with, with a better exchange. I don't know if there's a question there. It's just an anecdote. There isn't. <laughs> there's no question. So what are, what are, what are our closing thoughts to uh, round this out? I think my closing thoughts would be, um, I think, similar to the last time. One is, if you're bullish long-term, the only answer really is to buy spot gradually. Don't FOMO into coins that are shilled on CT constantly. There's a lot of you know, a lot of PVP uh, in the market right now, where a lot of traders on CT will try to get people excited about a certain thing, and then uh, it will just get you wrecked. So I will say just take it slow. And if you're bullish long term, the only answer really is to buy spot and hold for long term and don't FOMO into crazy narratives. In terms of what I'm the most excited about, it's still the layer twos and, and the layer two tokens and how the activity will actually end up panning out there. I'm still insanely bullish on, on StarkNet. I'm pretty bullish on Polygon switching from the proof of stake chain to the ZKVM chain. And I'm quite interested into how ZK Sync and, and the Scrolls launches go as well. But I, I'm very convinced that there's going to be a lot of activity. There are new projects launching, new use cases. There's going to be a lot of opportunities, I think, uh, in that environment. I don't know if it happens in the next month or you know three months from now, but it's probably the most exciting narrative I'm watching closely. Yeah, I think my closing thoughts would just be donate for the sake of aping. This is not really a risk on period. It was, you know, a period where you could just buy what you really loved at a good price. Uh, but it isn't one where I would be, you know, degen farming or, you know, chasing all these uh, degen projects. Uh, we're still seeing like projects rug on a daily basis. And that to me, you know, the risk reward just isn't there. So, yeah, I would just play it safe. You know, same thing I said last time, buy spot, buy what you love and buy what you're willing to hold. I guess that means I need to buy Larry. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, I want to thank you both for joining us on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thanks again. Once again, we've been joined by our guest, Hedgehog of eGirl Capital, as well as Larry Cermak, VP of Research at The Block. Gentlemen, thanks for being on the show. See you uh, next month. Appreciate it, Frank. Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.